0: Mississippi, the state that brought the case that overturned Roe v. Wade, has one abortion clinic, Jackson Women's Health. It's better known as the Pink House because it's painted the color of Pepto-Bismol. And last Friday, Ashton Pittman from Mississippi Free Press, he knew that the Pink House was exactly where he needed to be.
1: It was, it was pure chaos, uh, and, and it's usually chaotic there. It's, it's always been chaotic there, because there have always been protesters, and there's always been media. So now abortion is illegal, and yet every individual here will still stand before God. In here. But on Friday, the moment the decision came down, there was just screaming and shouting and, you know, preachers on megaphones. Right. All along, they've been murdering their babies by the living God, the word of the living God. They've been murdering his babies. These babies, all along, they're murdering babies inside this uh, pink pink house right the, here. The law has come into effect now. You've got, you've got what you what you want. coming into in effect, and uh, people need to be prosecuted. Uh, justice needs to be upheld now. We had some reporters ask uh, one escort, "How do you feel?" And she just was angered by the question. She was like, "You know, of course I'm delighted," you know, sarcastically, because it was just. You know, how do you think I feel is is, is kind of you know, what she was getting at. The level of visceral anger was so palpable. Um, and, and on the other side of the road and in the middle of the road, the joy and the celebration.
0: The joy, the celebration. That part looked a little like a tailgate. People brought big speakers to play music and foldable camp chairs. But it all had a purpose.
1: Anti-abortion protesters, they were immediately running to the end of the road to when they saw cars starting to turn in and screaming at the people saying, Roe v. Wade's been overturned. You can't get an abortion here, which which wasn't true. Um, It's it's banned before 15 weeks. So before 15 weeks, currently in Mississippi, you can still get an abortion um, until the trigger law goes into effect.
0: What a mess.
1: Right. It it was a mess. I mean, it is a mess, and it was a mess on on Friday.
0: Your governor, Tate Reeves, called Friday, when the ruling came down, a joyous day. And he sort of welcomed the beginning of a new pro-life agenda. I wonder what you thought when you heard that.
1: Well, you know, Mississippi has the nation's highest infant mortality rate. We also have the highest fetal mortality rate.
0: It sounds like you're calling bullshit.
1: It's hard to call this a pro-life state when we rank so low in so many things. When we have, you know, these extremely high uninsurance rates, you know, people who don't have health care and don't have health care access and live in counties where they don't even have a hospital because those hospitals have had to shut down. You know, there was actually a Mississippi State Supreme Court case last November where a woman sued her uh, her employer um, because she said that they fired her because they found out she was pregnant, and the Mississippi Supreme Court basically said they can fire you for getting pregnant, and you, you can't do anything about it. So, so we have not built any kind of infrastructure in this state for a quote unquote pro life agenda. We have not built infrastructure to to deal with all these you know kids that are being born to mothers who don't have the resources to care for them. We've done none of that work. Now they're saying they're going to do these things, but I I guess we'll see.
0: Today on the show, politicians in Mississippi, they may not seem like they have a plan for what happens now, but there's no denying they've been key to orchestrating the overturn of Roe for everyone else. Ashton's going to explain how they did that. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. You know, ever since this abortion case went in front of the Supreme Court, I've had this question in my head, like why Mississippi? Why is your state the one that's out in front and and pushing the agenda here? Do you have a good answer to that question?
1: So do you do you mind if I, you know, talk a little about about myself to get there?
0: No, I think that's great.
1: Okay. So just just to kind of just to kind of back up way a good bit before I ever, you know, knew I was going to be a journalist. Uh, When I was a teenager, I was in an evangelical church. And they actually took us to the Jackson Women's Health Organization. Like, I went with my youth group and uh, we... You were a protester? Yeah, yeah. As a teenager, that was was what my youth group did. And I knew as a teenager that the Supreme Court was the most important issue. Because I remember 2008, I... I think I was 17 or 18, I told them that, you know, I didn't really care for John McCain as a candidate. And my youth leader told me something to the effect of, well, you have to vote for him anyway, because the Supreme Court, you know, we're one seat away from overturning Roe v. Wade. And they kind of painted Mississippi's abortion clinic to me as the center of that fight. And to me, that has just always been, you know, the battleground.
0: I noticed that back in like 2015, you were still in college, you wrote this short opinion piece for the New York Times saying the most important issue for you was the makeup of the Supreme Court. And I look back at it now and I, I think it's really prescient. But it seems to me like you got that idea because from a very young age in your church youth group, you were being told. Like, this is the most important thing. And so you realized there was this incredible momentum to swing the court right. It, did it feel like people outside of the evangelical space didn't quite understand that?
1: Yes, it it did. In the evangelical church, I was given a strong appreciation for what the Supreme Court can do because I knew that abortion wasn't going to be outlawed by Congress. And then later on, once I left evangelicalism, I still saw the Supreme Court as so pivotal when it comes to voting rights and civil rights. And I'm a gay man. So for me, I knew that Congress wasn't going to legalize gay marriage, but I knew that my future rights, my right to marry depended on who sat on the Supreme Court. And I had assumed that, you know, liberals and Democrats and these other groups were equally talking about how important it was to have their guys on the Supreme Court. And and then I found out, you know, once I got into college and was actually talking to people who weren't evangelicals and who weren't Republicans, I learned, oh, wow, no, this isn't as big of an issue on the other side of the aisle.
0: Hmm. It's interesting because it just sounds like you have this experience where you saw both the way the Supreme Court could protect you, because, of course, gay marriage was banned in Mississippi for a while and the supreme court came in and and said that couldn't be the case. And then also you realized from your evangelical experience that the supreme court could take rights away too. In fact, that was the plan.
1: Right. And you know, on election night 2016, pretty much at that point I was like, okay, Roe v. Wade's overturned. Um marriage rights there's a chance that those are going to be overturned because I knew that, you know, the next president, as I wrote in that 2015 article, the next president was going to have the power to appoint, you know, at least two justices, possibly three. And people in 2016 actually responded to that article saying, oh, you're just fear-mongering. You're just fear-mongering in favor of, you know, one candidate or the other. And I hadn't mentioned a candidate in that article. I just Hmm. said this is the most important issue because it affects every right, every piece of legislation Congress passes.
0: Ashton says, Politicians in Mississippi have been trying to poke holes in the constitutional right to abortion for a long time, and they haven't just been using the courts. Back in 2011, when Ashton was still a student journalist, he covered an attempt to pass a personhood amendment to Mississippi's Constitution. He interviewed anti-abortion activists who actually moved to Mississippi, thinking that if giving fetuses rights was going to happen anywhere, it would happen here.
1: They saw Mississippi as as a ripe opportunity. We're a conservative state. We only had one abortion clinic. And, you know, even, even a lot of the Democrats we had in office were anti-abortion. So I think they just saw Mississippi as as really ripe for pushing anti-abortion legislation and testing anti-abortion laws.
0: The goal was to challenge Roe v. Wade, right?
1: Right, and setting the groundwork to challenge Roe v. Wade. And their idea at the time, with the personhood amendment, though, was was basically that if you define a fetus or if you define a fertilized egg as a person, then they should have 14th Amendment rights to equal protection under the law. I think what the personhood amendment actually showed was the Mississippi voters did not want this extreme kind of abortion ban. But reporting on the ground back then, there were a lot of people who considered themselves pro-life or anti-abortion who once they understood what was in the personhood amendment and, you know, that it could, it wouldn't allow exceptions for rape or incest, that it had, you know, no specific exception for life of the mother, although the proponents claimed it did, you know, that it could ban some forms of birth control and in vitro fertilization. You know, once people heard that, there was a groundswell of opposition to it. And, you know, I think voters rejected it almost 60% against it. Obviously, they they didn't succeed with that, but it, you know, federal legislation—a very similar bill—is in Congress called the Life at Conception Act that would do something very similar. And it has, I think, 168 Republican sponsors between the House and Senate.
0: Yeah, Rand Paul is a big sponsor, right?
1: Right, right. And it's got a majority of House Republicans, I believe. So, so there's a you know there's a continuity with this stuff. And I think I think the Personhood Amendment in Mississippi was premature, but I think you're going to see a bigger push for that nationwide now.
0: One of the things that's interesting about your reporting is that you've reported so deeply about the origins of this Dobbs case, which overturned Roe. Specifically, its origins in a law, and you've written about how that law was actually not born necessarily in the Mississippi legislature it was drafted by a group known as the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm wondering if you can lay out how a group like the ADF sort of joined forces with the state of Mississippi and politicians there and what that meant.
1: Right. So, so the ADF, um, you know, they're, they're kind of, they have this idea that they want a quote unquote Christian worldview in every area of law. End quote. Like that's literally something in their tax filings. And 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 they mean, of course, evangelical Christians. And so you know, that's been a
0: long going project. So how did they get involved in Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban?
1: In 2018, we had three Mississippi lawmakers introduce just identical 15-week abortion bans. Exact same wording, banning abortion at 15 weeks, no exceptions for rape. A few weeks before the lawmakers introduced these. 15-week abortion bans, ADF leaders were at this anti-abortion rally, I believe January, 2018. And they announced that they had this, this plan to either make Roe irrelevant or to completely reverse it. And they explained that they had drafted these abortion bans that would ban abortions, you know, at 15 weeks. I think they had also drafted some other options that were 20 weeks and maybe one that was something like 12 weeks. And they were shopping these bills to lawmakers in states. They didn't specifically say Mississippi at the time, but they were shopping these bills out. And they explained that with Trump changing the Supreme Court, they believed that they could get one of these abortion bans to the Supreme Court and that they could either overturn or seriously weaken Roe v. Wade.
0: It's such a meticulous plan. To sort of craft this legislation, have like three different versions, and then, you know, okay, the timing's right. We'll get it to the Supreme Court.
1: Right. And so, just a few weeks after they explain this plan, their bills that they wrote are introduced to Mississippi by these lawmakers. And within two months, Governor Phil Bryant was signing the 15 week abortion ban into law. And I believe that same day, the state's only abortion clinic, the Jackson Women's Health Organization, also known as the Pink House, filed a lawsuit. Trump had already appointed Gorsuch by the time that the 15 week ban became law. Between then and the time of the case, Trump was able to replace Justice Kennedy with Kavanaugh and replace Justice Ginsburg with Barrett. So a lot of things went right for them. You know, they they believed at the time with, you know, even before those two appointments were made that they had a they had a good chance at at least cutting into row.
0: I'm kind of curious. Your history is an evangelical. When you look at a group like Alliance Defending Freedom, do you see something that maybe I wouldn't see as someone who doesn't have a history as an evangelical?
1: Yes. So I think I think what I might see that you wouldn't is that when they talk about a Christian worldview in every er- area of law, that's not... They're not. Um, they're not exaggerating. they what they're talking about is they're talking about building the kingdom of God on earth. They take that in a in a very literal sense. You're not just you know building the kingdom by doing nice things for people, but you're actually you know, building the kingdom by bringing Christian views and Christian ideas, evangelical views to be precise, into into government and into law, and you are making that part of the way that the national government is run. It's motivated by this idea that their religion and their religious views should dominate. And so when it comes to abortion, you know, it's non-negotiable to them. And this this was God helping them move that forward as a part of, of law in this country.
0: It's hard not to listen to you and feel paranoid because it sounds like this group that wants to establish a theocracy is steering policy in this country by the Supreme Court.
1: Right. No, that's that's, that, that's exactly what's happening. If you look at the Trump administration, he had a lot of people that surrounded him that he would bring into the White House who were what you would call Christian dominionists.
0: Christian dominionists. What does that mean?
1: So Christian dominionists basically believe that Christians should dominate every sphere of society. So they should dominate politics. They should dominate culture in terms of, uh, you know, movies, arts. Um, They should dominate, you know, all these different spheres of culture. And I don't think Trump understood that or understands what that term means. But these were people who, you know, loved him and were very nice to him and said nice things about him. So, of course, you know, he welcomed them with open arms. And, you know, the Christian dominionists saw Trump as someone through whom they they could really come in and just, you know, just just get the things they wanted, even if he wasn't, you know, their idea of a proper, you know, evangelical Christian. And those people were just all over the Trump administration. Christian Dominionists were a big part of the January sixth events. You know, so much of, of what I think that a lot of Democrats and liberals and, you know, and even some moderate, you know, Republicans think is just is just normal political disagreements or people who just have different politics than they do, I don't think don't appreciate how strongly these ideas transcend politics.
0: They're existential. Right. After the break, next steps in Mississippi. The next few days are going to be critical in Mississippi. The attorney general just certified the state's trigger law earlier this week. That means abortions are supposed to be banned within 10 days. But Jackson Women's Health, the Pink House, has sued to stop the law from taking effect. In other words, in Mississippi, abortion is still being argued about in court.
1: I think what you're going to see at the the Pink House is you're just going to, you're going to see the people there continuing to do what they do. You know, going to continue having you know protesters out there trying to run people off, and they're going to continue trying to get patients in and help as many as they can. Are they
0: planning to remain open even after the trigger law goes into effect to provide other kinds of services?
1: I don't think so. My impression is that that clinic is not going to remain open for any services um, after after this trigger law goes into effect. But there, you know, there are already groups in Mississippi. There have been for a long time. Reproductive rights activists who have, you know, worked to even teach people how to self-manage their own abortions, because you know you have to remember Mississippi is a very poor state, and we only have one abortion clinic. So you know, if you're you know four, five hours away from the only clinic, it may not be possible for you to to get there. So that kind of activism, that kind of education on self-managed abortions, has been something that's been going on for a long time, along with you know helping people get to clinics. Or to get to the one clinic in the state.
0: Something I couldn't quite figure out is whether abortion pills will still be legal in Mississippi. Looking at the language of the trigger law, it seems clear to me that they shouldn't be illegal. But then I'm also seeing quotes from activists like this woman, Michelle Cologne, who you've spent a lot of time with over the years. She's a clinic defender. And she basically said, "We're going to be giving out the abortion pill right under people's noses. Like we are not going away, and that seems to be where this battle is headed."
1: Right, it does. And you know, we've we've talked to to lawmakers um, who have said that um, you know they would like to come back and pass legislation to try to prevent people from being able to to get the pills, and try to do something to stop self-managed abortion. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, though.
0: You know, you've spent so much time covering the way anti-abortion activists have focused on one place in Mississippi, which is the Pink House, Jackson Women's Health, the one place people could get an abortion in your state. I wonder where you think that energy goes now, because the energy was so strong. Like, just a few weeks ago, you took this video and posted it online of a woman who was protesting abortion, and she was saying, yeah, like, I think even if someone has an ectopic pregnancy or their life is at risk, we just have to leave that yeah. to God.
1: Even if a woman would die, even if a doctor said oh, this woman will die without an yep. abortion?
0: I, I have to put it in his hands. He's the, he's the maker of all. So if he wants that woman to live, if he's not ready to take her home, he's going to make it happen. We are at his mercy because... What happens to all these people who've been so activated?
1: You know, that's a really good question. Um, I actually saw someone tweet on Saturday that abortion pro- anti-abortion protesters had left the Pink House and had gone over to the Pride event that was happening nearby and that they saw that as a pretty good symbol of, you know, where this could go next. I think you're going to see a lot of these people move on to... Fighting against LGBTQ rights, I think you're going to see some of them, you know, go on to things like fighting Plan B. But it's a really good question about what the people who have been focused almost solely on abortion are going to do. And I would be surprised if if LGBTQ rights wasn't, you know, one of the first things.
0: You're a gay man, and you're out.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: What? I I just don't know how you think about that.
1: You know, it's um. It's frightening um, I'm also married. Uh, you know I remember the morning that we got the, uh, the notification, the push notification saying that Justice Kennedy was retiring in 2018 I, I woke up and that was the first thing I saw and I looked at my husband and I and I hope I was wrong, but I looked at him and I said, well, there goes our marriage. So you know I have a I have a lot of concerns about wh- you know where, where things are gonna go as a gay man and uh, you know I won't lie. I don't think we're going to have lawmakers in Mississippi that are eager to protect us. They certainly haven't tried to protect LGBTQ rights in the past, at least not the majority. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's a scary place to be. It's a scary time to be in.
0: Ashton Pittman, I'm really, really grateful for your reporting, and I'm so glad we got you on the show. Thank you.
1: All right, thank you so much.
0: Ashton Pittman is a senior reporter for the Mississippi Free Press. Before I get out of here, a quick apology from me. In yesterday's show, I mischaracterized the Chief Justice's opinion in last week's abortion decision. While he did concur with the conservative majority, he wrote a separate opinion in which he made clear he would have preferred to move much more slowly here, not overturning Roe v. Wade. But in the end... He lost that war of words to Justice Samuel Alito. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of help these days from Anna Rubinova and Jared Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I will be back in this feed bright and early tomorrow morning. I'll catch you then.